Krista Bilton is an author who lives in Los Angeles with her husband and kids. And uh, believe it or not, Normal Family is her first book. Woo! Welcome, so Krista. Um, thank you guys so much for being here. It means a lot. I'm just going to read the prologue. It's not too long, so uh, yeah. There's a knock on the front door. It's for you, Krista, my husband yells from the kitchen without having to look. It has been this way all morning. One perfect stranger after another, standing on my porch, luggage by their side, arms outstretched to hug me, their older sister. I walk down the stairs and open the front door to greet another sibling. The first had been surprisingly warm, kind, and likable. The second, too. What will the next be like, I wonder? Will they be like him? I open the door, smiling as brightly as I can. After an awkward hug, I introduce myself. I'm Krista, I say, trying my hardest to put this stranger at ease. I'm Grace, the woman standing in front of me replies. My eyes scan hers as I laugh uncomfortably at the uncanny physical similarities between us. The other siblings are in the back, I say, helping Grace with her bag as I usher her inside. As she walks through the front door, a bit shy, I am struck by a familiar, loud, braying sound. It is my own laugh, complete with the guttural gasps for air. As I wander back to find out which of them is making that sound, my sound, I see the dozen siblings who have already arrived standing in a circle, arranging their toes in a lineup for a photo because, according to another sibling, we all share the same feet. I slip off my sandals and add my right foot to the circle, and sure enough, my big toe has found its doppelganger, a dozen of them. That's Krista Bilton, reading from her new memoir, called Normal Family. My favorite genre of books are memoirs written by people that grew up in crazy childhoods. And this one definitely fits that category. And I've read them all. And this one ranks up there with the best. Glass Castle and The Liars Club are two of my favorites, and I'd rank this one up there with them. It's that good. Do yourself a favor and read it. This is Missing Pieces, MPE Life. I'm your host, Don Anderson. This is Season 2, Episode 2, Art Sisters. I was able to talk to Krista a little bit about her childhood, and um, and then we're going to take a left turn, <laughs> like normal. But for now, here's Krista. I'm Krista Bilton. I wrote a book called Normal Family on truth, love, and how I met my 35 siblings. I'm from Los Angeles. I had a a wild and colorful upbringing. So my mom was a lesbian in the early 80s um, who really wanted to start a family. She was in her mid-30s. Her clock was ticking. And she didn't know anyone in her community who had had kids. Um, So she was very much alone and, and a trailblazer in many ways. And she set out to figure out how to have kids. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a colorful story that I tell in the book, starting with her trying to go straight and, and she almost marries this oil tycoon. And then it turns out he's infertile. So she, she ends that relationship. And then she went on a manhunt and my father, my very handsome father walked into a hair salon in Beverly Hills 
And she took one look at him and she said to herself, that's, that's the one, that's the one I'm going to, you know, not marry and, and have a happy ever after type of life with, but the guy I'm going to take to lunch and offer $2,000 to, uh, get a sample of his sperm, uh, to have a, a baby. And so that was, that was my origin story. And after I was born, my mother felt guilty not giving me a father figure. So she wound up paying that man who walked into the hair salon to, to be a dad. And so he would come for birthday parties. At one point he lived with us. Um, he'd be around in the holidays and I just knew him as my quirky eccentric dad. I never realized that she'd paid him to be a sperm donor or that he was being financially incentivized into me and, and later my little sister's lives. In my mid twenties, my mother sat me down on the couch, uh, me and my little sister. And she said, I have something I have to tell you. Uh, you know, it turns out your dad was secretly a, a sperm donor and he had, and you might have a couple brothers and, you know, brothers and sisters around the country. And the way my mother said a couple and the way she downplayed his sperm donation immediately, I was like, okay, we probably have a ton. And he probably did this for a long time. And then the real shocking part was that the only reason she told me, cause she had been hiding this from us, even though she only had discovered it late in life was because she realized I was probably dating my half brother. Um, and so I had to, so that was a lot to process all at once. I had to, I, it, it suddenly blew the lid off of all the lies my mom had told me about my conception. Cause I had a lot of questions, follow-up questions about how he even discovered the sperm bank, which of course was, was her, was all her. She had taken him there to be tested for STDs and that's how he got the idea. So this really all originated with my mother. But, um, then I had to deal with breaking up with this guy that I was dating and looking at his face and, trying to decide, is he my, like, do we look alike? Is he really my brother? Having to think about how many times we'd slept together. I mean, it was, that's a lot. If that isn't enough to get you to read the book, <laughs> I don't know what would be. Right after Krista's mom dropped that bombshell, one of those donor-conceived siblings reached out to Krista on Facebook. One of my biological sisters, who was part of this Facebook group that was that was growing at that time it was 2007. So it was pretty early. Um, you know, there was, it wasn't, kids weren't finding out because of ancestry and 23 and me, they were finding out because of the donor sibling registry. So it was a much smaller group, but there were, I think 12 of them. And she reached out and one of these sisters, Rochelle reached out to me on Facebook and she didn't know that my mom had told me about their existence. And she invited me to the Facebook group. And she said, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but you know, we all share the same donor and we're meeting on Facebook and here are some of the things we have in common. And by the way, we, a lot of us struggle with depression and anxiety. And, and I think that it was just information overload at that moment in my life. And I just couldn't deal with it because my, my own family unit that I had grown up in was so complicated. I was at that time I was trying to get sober. I was trying to stop drinking and smoking weed. And, uh, I was trying to develop a better relationship with my mom. And I was also dealing with the, all of the information I'd learned about my father and, and trying to understand if he was my dad, if he'd loved me or he hadn't, and it had been a financial thing. So 
it was just too much for me to have the idea of an once a single additional family member, let alone a growing contingent of siblings. It was, it was just way too much for me psychologically. And so I, I don't, I hope I wasn't rude, but I, I basically told this, this sister, I I can't, I'm sorry, I can't have anything to do with this. If you could pass the message along, I'd really appreciate it. Krista's been on other podcasts. She was even in on Fresh Air with Terry Gross. So if you want to listen to more of her general story, you could um, find those if you Google them. She was actually on Eve's podcast, Everything's Relative. Or like I said, trust me, just read the book. It's amazing. So as usual, I want to make a left turn and take us on a tangent. One chapter of Krista's book mentions Jennifer, a relative she met after Jennifer did an ancestry test back in 2017. And it came with such a huge coincidence. So huge, I think it will honestly put to rest the nature versus nurture debate once and for all. So on this episode of Missing Pieces, I'm going to focus on that story. Here's Jennifer. Yeah, I'm Jennifer. Um, I grew up in the Hudson Valley of upstate New York. I was an only child. I think I always felt very different from my parents. Um, I grew up as an only child and I was very artistic and sort of spiritual and kind of wild as a kid. And my parents were just very straight-laced, normal, middle-class family I was from. Um, I connected a lot with my grandmother. And so I kind of thought I always got a lot of weirdness from her. I was obsessed with genealogy as a kid, um, probably (laughs) not to the happiness of my mother. Um, I constantly just wanted to like know about the family tree and where I was from. And yeah, it was just a bizarre interest, which is what led me to do a DNA test when I was in my late 20s. Um, And I never looked like my dad growing up and I used to make jokes to friends like, Oh, my mom probably cheated. Like I never believed it on any level, but I just thought it was kind of funny. Um, I remember learning about the, I think it was like the chromosome, like the dominant and recessive genes chart. Yeah. (laughs) And I have hazel eyes and my dad has blue eyes and my mom had like kind of gray eyes. So maybe she was in a, gray zone. But um, I came home that day and I said to my mom, it's impossible that you and my dad are my biological parents (laughs) because you can't make like a brown eyed child. And she kind of just like rolled her eyes and was like, okay. And probably was just horrified that I'd said that. When I was in art school, a group of us would take turns posing to have our portrait drawn so other people could practice drawing. And my friend drew me and I looked just like my first cousin on my dad's side. And I said to her, thank you so much. Like you finally proven to me that my dad is actually my biological father. (laughs) And I was wrong. (laughs) It was just a bizarre coincidence. But even then it was just always in part of my psyche. And I never, ever believed that ever could be true. From the time I got that Facebook message from Rochelle, to 10 years later, I was, you know, it was very different. I had gotten sober. I had worked out a lot of stuff in my life. I'd had two kids, was in a happy marriage. I was in a, just a different, much more stable place. And, but I still wanted nothing to do with the siblings. I really had not given them a ton of thought 
in those 10 years. And my mother became obsessed with this idea that we might have a little bit of Jewish roots in us. And so she got an ancestry.com kit and she had me spit into it uh, and sent it off, not realizing that by signing me up for this DNA website, she would connect me with the siblings once again. Um, cause I had not joined that Facebook group. And, and by this time we had a lot more and they were either on 23andMe or Ancestry. So she did that. And then shortly thereafter, that's when Jennifer randomly took a DNA test on the same website. And so my, here my mom is with my account and my genetic information, just happily going about her day, plodding along like our family tree on both sides. Cause that's her favorite hobby. And then she gets a message from Jennifer it was 2017, and I was 27 years old when I did the DNA test. I lived in the UK briefly, and it was a friend's mother that kind of introduced me to Ancestry.com and was just convincing me I should build a family tree and do a DNA test, and that's how it got in my head. And again, I was always kind of obsessed with genealogy and understanding myself. I think in retrospect, it probably was because there were things that just didn't make sense. Like there probably was part of me that sensed something and I was trying to understand myself in some way. I also have very olive skin and I had thought I was mostly Irish and British. So I was curious if there was something more Southern in the mix which there wasn't. I am completely Irish and British. <laughs> I somehow have olive skin. Um, but I did the test, yeah, only to see what countries I was from because I thought it was so interesting. I didn't think I would see anything fascinating on the um, DNA matches part. I come from a very tiny family. My mom was an only child and my dad had just two brothers and only one had two children. And when I opened it, the DNA matches, it said I had two matches that said close family hyphen first cousins. So I thought that meant I had two first cousins and I was in shock. I thought, um, I thought I just found this huge family secret. I was convinced my uncle that didn't have kids. He had three wives. I was like, he has these kids that maybe he doesn't even know about a male and a female. There's Tyler and his name was very generic. So I knew I wouldn't find him online. And then it said CB, the initials managed by Deborah Dean Olson. So I immediately found Deborah on Facebook. She, she managed the test for whoever CB was, which was my DNA match. And I scrolled down to see Krista Bilton. I clicked the profile and I knew who she was. We had 35 mutual friends I was one of the most surreal moments. To find out why it was such a surreal moment and explain why they had so many common friends, we need to go back in time into each of our guest stories. Here's Krista. So I'd, I'd wanted to write original. That was always my, you know, like my first dream was writing, but I also loved drawing and painting and specifically realism. And so I went to college where I mostly studied film and writing. And then afterwards I graduated in 2008. And, you know, as you know, that was not an ideal year to graduate from college. So I was trying to get a job at a film studio 
probably, a, you know, applied to 200 jobs on for, through Craigslist and no one would hire me and the economy was shit. It was a hard time. And so I think I was going to, I was like, okay, maybe I'll give up on this, this writing dream for a while. And I was also getting sober at that time. So maybe it was a good thing that I couldn't get a traditional job. And I was just doing these odd jobs to get by because it allowed me to go to, you know, to just really delve into healing work as part of my, I guess you could call it like spiritual, um, healing process. I, I took a painting class in Culver city. Chris had taken art classes in college, but they tended to be on theory and history. And she just wanted to learn to paint realism. So that's the class she found in Culver city and why she loved it so much. And I really loved this painting teacher. It was like two hours once a week and she'd put on Joshua Bell, you know, classical music and and we'd, we'd draw and paint. And I was just like, maybe this is what I'm meant to be doing. I love this so much. And I remember looking around at her studio and being like, if I wanted to do this professionally and, and really pursue it, what would you recommend? And she was like, well, there's this school in Florence, Italy called the Florence Academy of Art. And, you know, I'd never heard of it. It's not like Harvard or, you know, Boston College. It's not like, you know, they're really the only place in the world that teaches classical realism, if that's what you're interested in. You know, I was always on the trajectory to study art and be an artist. I originally went away to art school in Baltimore and I left and I had a boyfriend at the time that was going to study classical piano in Italy. And that's kind of what put it in my head to go there. And he met someone at the Italian consulate who studied at the school, the Florence Academy of Art, which it's a very traditional training kind of made after 19th century atelier training you'd get in France. And I just had no idea that sort of training existed. The school was completely word of mouth. At the time, only 30 people went there a year. And then I met this artist in my town that taught similar methods of drawing and painting. And he's like, you should go to this school, the Florence Academy of Art. So everything in my life sort of bizarrely aligned to bring me to go to this school in Italy. He said that without knowing that you had talked to someone else about it? Yeah, I just took a weekend workshop with him. He studied in Florence in the 70s, and it was his um, friend that opened the Florence Academy of Art. So it was 2011 that I first went there. That became my dream was to go to this this little art school. And so I spent the next year, you know, su- supporting myself through waitressing and, and building up a portfolio through this painting class to apply. And, um, and then, and saving up. And, you know, the nice thing about colleges in Europe is they're much less expensive than the ones in the U.S. But so I wound up going there for two years and ultimately I dropped out of the program because um, I couldn't afford to stay there any longer, but it was one of the most magical experiences of my life. Krista had just left months earlier. Um, it's a three-year program and she left at the end of her second year. So I was there with like all of her classmates and friends and it was such a tiny school. And again, the school was completely word of mouth, like not many people knew about (laughs) this school at the time. So they talked about her a lot. Like they talked about all of the students who'd recently left. Um, And she always came up as like a recommended friend on Facebook. So I was very familiar with who she was. I'd heard stories about her. There weren't that many Americans at the school, like maybe a quarter of the school was Americans. 
And Krista had studied at Columbia. And so I thought she was from New York. So I was like, oh, another like New Yorker. Like I, I wondered if I would meet her someday. One of my close friends there, Tanvi, was her roommate. Um, hi, my name's Tanvi Patale, and uh, I'm originally from Mumbai, India. Um, and I've been living in Florence for the last uh, 13 years. Um, I came there to study art at the Florence Academy of Art, and I teach there now. Um, uh, and that's the school where I met uh, Krista. I first met, met Krista in 2009, and she was my first uh, roommate in Florence. Um, we shared, we lived together for about two years, I believe, um, became good friends. And then um, I believe Krista was there for a shorter amount of time. And then she had to move back to the States. Um, and I believe she left Florence around 2011. Um, and then uh, I continued to stay on at the school. I started teaching at the school. All my students then uh, were pretty much similar to my age, so we would hang out together as well a few smaller groups. And uh, that's when I met Jen, uh, Jennifer Keltus, and uh, she um, uh, she was part of our friends group. I taught her, but it was a very uh, casual uh, relationship. So we we hung out a lot in a group of friends. And then eventually, uh, Jennifer also finished her education and moved back to the States. So she connected with me through Ancestry and then was able to look up my initials enough to find me on Facebook through her sleuthing to realize that, oh, there are pictures of Krista in, you know, in my tiny art studio painting with like, you know, Tanvi, her roommate in the background and who's now my good friend. Before I even saw that, I instantly wrote both of those accounts. And I said, wow, like I come from a tiny family. I want to figure out how we're first cousins. And so she shot off an email to my mom, to, to me, but it went to my mom's inbox. Um, and then my mom saw it and immediately called me. And she was like, I think you have a new half sister. And she read the message aloud. And I was like, mom, what did you sign me up for? It was only then that I really understood the gravity of what my mother had done. Cause she just, you know, I hadn't opted in to this genetic network. It's, she'd opted in for me. Um, so I immediately took my account back. I recognized her immediately. I'd seen her Facebook many times. I'd like looked through her Facebook before and I was just in shock. And Deborah had built a whole family tree for Krista with, with like a whole father's side. And so I thought it was the wrong father and I share my uncle's last name. So I thought I could be a big bomb in their life. She might be realizing Krista's father is not her real father. Um, and I then decided to Google Krista's art website because we both studied classical painting and there were three paintings on it. And one of them was truly an exact portrait of me. <laughs> it looked more like me than many of my self-portraits. And Krista doesn't look that much like me. So that was one of the most surreal. I was like, I thought I was in like the Twilight Zone or a Lifetime movie. I was like, what is happening? Like none of it made any sense. So let's think about this for a minute. She had just matched with this person on Ancestry DNA, this person who went to the same rare tiny school in Europe that she had. 
And then on top of that, she goes onto the website and sees one of Krista's paintings that looks just like her. The likeness is so great, guys. I'm going to post it on Instagram, a picture of the painting and a picture of Jennifer, because it is insane how much they look alike. So go to Instagram and go to MPE underscore life underscore podcast and check it out. Then come back here and listen to the rest. It was her full sister who we at certain points in our life, we look a lot alike and we just had an identical profile at this point. And it, it was so surreal. And I mean, it's all I could think of all of the next day, Deborah, no one was writing me back. So I was just gripped. Um, I didn't say anything to my parents and it was that night. I still hadn't heard back and I was just clicking around on the site and there was a little button that showed how much DNA we share. And it said something like 1,450 centimorgans of DNA. And there was a chart. And I realized we shared the amount of DNA of half siblings and not of first cousins. <laughs> so we were half sisters. And I knew immediately I was from a sperm donor. I just knew my father was never with this woman, Deborah. And I immediately remembered my mom always telling me growing up, it took her five years to get pregnant and it was really hard to get pregnant. And I was like, I'm from a sperm donor. I was just speechless for maybe 20 minutes. And I then thought, what if the family tree Deborah built for Krista Lake is my actual father? (laughs) So I found the name Jeffrey Harrison and I Googled Jeffrey Harrison, sperm donor, and like article after article, New York Times, The Guardian, of this famous sperm donor in LA in the 80s and 90s. And it was just my face looking back at me. Um, It was totally surreal. And then I also found out there was a documentary made about him and six of my other half-siblings finding him. So I'm on YouTube (laughs) watching video clips of him and all of these other half siblings. Um, So it was a period of 20 minutes went by of finding out my father was not my biological father and that I am from a sperm donor who I'm seeing talking on camera with other half siblings. Um, Yeah, it was utterly surreal. And also, you know, I'd spent a day thinking intensely of Krista and this connection we have. And then to find out there's many more, like dozens, possibly, that's what the articles were saying at the time. It also really messed with my mind of like, what does that mean if there's that many? Like, is it special? Like, if there's so many, it was like just impossible to wrap my mind around having that many half siblings and just... Like if there's one, like if it was just Krista, it just would be like, wow, my half sibling. But when there's dozens, they just kind of get lost. It's hard to like form a deep connection with that many people. It just kind of messes with your mind of like the meaning of DNA and like what family is. Oh, no. Um, There was a big New York Times story in I think it was 2005 or six where um, there was this website called the Donor Sibling Registry. And this woman, Wendy Kramer, made it for her donor-conceived son to connect her son with half-siblings and maybe the biological father. So 
some of my half siblings were on that website and they were older. And the New York Times went to Wendy to do a story and she pointed them to two of my sisters. So there was a big like Sunday Times front page story about two of my half siblings looking for their biological father. And Jeffrey happened to read the paper that day and saw donor 150 of California Cryobank and recognized his name. So he waited and joined the website and kind of came out to the half siblings. So Jeffrey, the father, it's really such a huge story. I can't go into it on this episode, but his name was Jeffrey Harrison, donor 150. Just Google it and you'll find all the info you need. He was this frequent sperm donor at this clinic in LA. And he was good looking and smart and even a centerfold in Playgirl in the 70s. That's how good looking he was. But now he lives in Venice Beach in a camper and and he may or may not suffer from mental illness. So Google him, Jeffrey Harrison, donor 150. And now back to our story. You can imagine my complete shock when a half-sister who grew up across the country in New York with a very different family uh, was also interested in this obscure art form and wound up in the same place, you know, the same totally unusual place in Florence, Italy. Um, It just, it was, it was, I don't know if that's, if, if it speaks to the power of genetics, like we had this inherent artistic interest that for some reason was turned on in both of us, or if there's some sort of deeper spiritual thing, I don't know. It was, it was pretty profound. Jennifer and I are so similar in so many ways. Um, And it really did. I don't know what the NPE community at large, like their feelings about nature and nurture, but it, shook me in a way. I was, I was just like, wow, nature is powerful. Again, it's, we didn't both go to Wellesley. Like we, we both went to a, an art school. I think at that time it was like 30 kids a year and they weren't American. You know, you know what I mean? So one thing that always fascinates me with the NPE experience is that moment of discovery you know, and that moment, that day, the next few days after is really so complicated and different and earth shattering and exciting at the same time. I can't even describe it accurately to people who haven't been through it. So I love it when I hear things that were said or written during that time, you know, that pivotal time. And and we have that here. So after a couple messages back and forth on Ancestry, Krista and Jen wrote these emails to each other. And the first one starts off with Jennifer writing to Krista. But Krista's reading them all, if that makes sense. So here we go. Hi, Krista. This feels like the strangest message in the world to write. And this really doesn't feel like my life right now. I was a, quote, only child until three days ago. Then I had what I thought was a first cousin from the Florence Academy of Art, which absolutely blew my mind, which turned into realizing you were actually my half-sister to instantly realizing that my dad isn't my biological father and piecing it together with my mom's story of it taking her five years to get pregnant, to one hour later discovering the identity of my biological father and a whole host of other half-siblings. I think I'm processing it as well as one can. My initial reaction was actually excitement and disbelief. I still feel excited and hopeful. Then I get profoundly sad and nervous and feel just about every emotion in between. 
four massive bombshells to process at once. Who knew ancestry DNA would be such an investment? I literally did it to see how Irish I was and because I wondered if there were if there was any exotic heritage in me due to my olive skin. Who knew? I would really love to speak with you on the phone. I don't know if I'm ready at this moment. Would it be strange if I spoke to your mom on the phone first, a sort of buffer zone before actually speaking to you? I just don't trust my emotions at the moment, and I think I need to work through the cognitive dissonance I'm feeling right now. With love, Jen. Wow. That's a great email. I mean, it really describes that moment, you know, that early days. Yeah. I mean, I have another one too, because we went back and forth for a while, but. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So my response was, uh, hi, Jen, if there's anyone who understands what you're going through right now, it's me. And I apologize if my note came as a shock. I think I was just so blown away that you'd gone to Florence and that we shared so many random interests. Of course, there is no pressure to call me at all. I'm sure when you speak to my mom, she will be able to shed some light on things for you. And then please feel free to reach out on your own time. In short, I went through something very similar a few years ago. I'd thought my whole life that my dad was a somewhat eclectic guy who wasn't around much and whose life had gradually gone downhill enough that we didn't see him anymore. And then in my 20s, one random afternoon, I learned that like you, I had countless half-siblings. Some even reached out to me, at which time I wasn't able to I wasn't at all ready to deal with it all, and so I made a decision not to have a relationship with them. I'm sure the internet isn't helping to ease your anxiety and confusing and confusion much, but hopefully after the strangeness of Googling Jeffrey, it's of some relief that I turned out normal. <laughs> uh, one thing I'll say is that Jeffrey wasn't always like that. He was smart and deep and very gifted. We also have some extraordinary ancestors. Anyway, I guess I'm at a more peaceful place with all of this now. So when my mom heard from you, I was filled with more curiosity and excitement than the dread I'd felt the first go around. I hope you're doing okay. In any way I can be helpful, I'm here with love, Krista. She wrote, okay, this is the last one. Hi, Krista. What you wrote could not have been lovelier. This is such a crazy experience. I've since found some more photos of Jeffrey. It is blowing me away how much I see a resemblance of myself in him. My entire life, I always thought how strange it was that I looked nothing like my dad. Blonde hair, blue eyes. And I always used to have a suspicion that I wasn't actually his genetic offspring. I said it jokingly. I don't know if I ever actually believed it. Friends used to joke, Jen, you look nothing like your dad. Maybe your mom cheated and you had a secret father. I had an experience at Florence Academy of Art where I sat as a portrait model one evening and a friend of mine drew my port portrait and I looked just like my cousin Carrie on my dad's side and I told Ben, my husband, wow, for the first time in my life, I know that my dad is my real dad. I guess I can finally put to rest that suspicion. Ha. Ben is my husband. He also went to FAA. We met on the first day of school back in 2011 and have pretty much been together ever since. Your mom told me that your husband is British. So is Ben. Da, 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 da. These are very particular life choices. I remember hearing your name mentioned throughout my time at Florence. There were always names thrown around of people who had left. I even remember looking at your Facebook a few years ago. I believe you were a recommended friend. And I saw photos of a trip to Civita and I thought, wow, another person that has been to Civita. Most people, even in the Florence Academy of Art, have never heard of it. I went there with my friends Cleo on a very magical trip one day. 
To think then, when I was randomly looking at your Facebook profile, that you were my half-sister. There are no words. I about died when I saw who the C.B was, your name on Ancestry, from your mom's Facebook profile because I recognized you instantly. One of my closest friends still in Florence is Tanvi, and she has definitely mentioned you to me before. I can just imagine her face if she finds out. Ben was saying we should go to Florence and the one of us meet Tanvi in a cafe and say, oh, my sister will be arriving in a few minutes, and the other one walk in and sit down. I think she would laugh and scream for about six hours. She's one of my favorite people to tell stories to with her animated reactions, though don't worry, I'll hold off on this one. So they didn't do that to Tanvi, but what they did do, <laughs> they had a call with her on Skype. Jennifer was the one that uh, said we should uh, call each other. Uh, and I, I, I contacted, the, we, we arranged a Skype date, and I know usually Jennifer stays in New York, and um, that's where her home is. And so she said, hey, I'm in, the first thing she says when we have a phone Sorry, there was a glitch in the matrix there, and the audio got weird. But basically, Jennifer told Tambi, let's have a Skype call. And when she got on, she said, oh, I'm not in New York. I'm in Los Angeles. And I have to tell you something. I found a half-sister. And I think you should meet her. You know how, uh, you know how I said I was doing these DNA uh, heritage uh, sort of tests where you, can, you get to know about your family? And I was like, yeah. And then Krista jumps in into the screen and, and they're like, um, so we found out that we were related. We are half siblings. It's like, what? Um, yeah, it was really very, very uh, uh, bizarre. When I found out that first night that I was donor conceived and that my father was not my biological father, I initially felt a lot of like I felt so much compassion from my parents and just sad like wow that must have been so hard to not be able to have a child together and I think I was just very overwhelmed with like tenderness towards them honestly and I was just so thrilled to have siblings um it kind of just felt like this insane adventure and I waited a year to tell my mom. I even knew. I think I was just, yeah, I was so overwhelmed about everything. And I just did not want really any attention. I kind of just wanted to pursue it all on my own before I said anything. So I really wasn't mad at all. I was just so thrilled to be meeting all of these half-siblings. And, and it was... A year later, I visited and stayed with Krista in LA and I felt, yeah, just so close to her. And, and it was after that trip that it kind of really hit me that I could have never found out and that this was just something that I really deserved to know that was being kept from me. And that's when I started to get angry <laughs> and I spent the next year being quite angry at my parents and specifically my mom. Um, and it was kind of in that state, I told her I knew. So I didn't have very much compassion at that point. Um, and she was pretty just 
totally shocked that I'd found out. I mean, like, you know, me and your father were still having sex at the time. So we thought maybe it worked. Um, and that, and that after they did it, they never discussed it again. She said, you know, you were just here. So I didn't think about it. And I said, like, you didn't think I had half siblings. And she said, it just never crossed my mind. And I was sick a lot as a kid. And my mom is a big worrier. And I said, like, you didn't worry about like the other half of my health history with like when I was sick as a child. And she said, no, I didn't think about it. So it just seemed just so buried in her psyche, something she just couldn't look at or deal with. For months after finding out, I remember I would just say over and over, I'm not crazy. And so to find out something I sensed but never let myself believe was in fact very true was just like a massive awakening for me. Um, I started to really just give myself more credit for my feelings and perceptions and kind of regard myself and trust myself more about what I was sensing, it changed kind of everything for me. I think I'd like gotten into a habit of just thinking like, oh, I'm just being ridiculous again. And I was like, no, I might be right. Um, so it changed a lot for me. I used to have arguments with friends who talk about nature or nurture, which is, you know, has a bigger effect. And I would always be like, it's just your soul. <laughs> I was so different from my parents that like neither really made sense. Um, and I think it like actually made me more spiritual as a kid in a kind of deluded way to try to understand myself. Cause I thought there was a magical answer for why I was how I was. And then finding out about Krista and other half siblings, like I think a quarter of the siblings are artists of some type and everyone is creative I mean, no one in my family growing up was. And I was like, oh, I am very much a product of DNA in a way I couldn't imagine. So it kind of made everything more grounded and real for how I was. Hey, Dad, I'm sorry this song is coming out of the blue. You're a secret thing I never knew about you. I want to thank Krista Bilton and Jennifer Keltos for being the guest today. I'm going to put both of the links to their websites in the show notes on this episode, so look for them there. And the name of the book is, remember, it's Krista with a C, Bilton, and it's Normal Family. And you can find it anywhere you can find books. Sorry it's been taking so long for the episodes, but I'm, like, right now, I am in, I don't know, really, I'm in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania at an Airbnb. I have pillows stacked up on the bed and I'm recording this into that. So I have been super busy and I'm going to keep the episodes coming, but they're not as coming as quickly as I'd like because I got to work. Missing Pieces is written, hosted, and produced by me, Don Anderson. Thank you for joining. Please rate us on Apple Podcast. Please leave a review. Only takes a second and I love, love hearing from you guys. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank Billy Sullivan for all his jazz on today's episode. And also this song, Hey Dad, by Corey Goodrich. She and I wrote it together. We did an episode about it. You can buy it on iTunes or you can listen to it anywhere you stream music. It's called Hey Dad by Corey with a Goodrich. Corey Goodrich with a C. <laughs> Corey with a Goodrich. 
All right. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time on Missing Pieces, MPE Life.